Well, friends, I got good news for you this morning. You want to hear it? Yes. When we have a need, God has a plan. That's the good news. When we have a need, God has a plan. In our study going through the Gospel of Mark, we're in chapter 6. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is about this very thing. Man's need and God's plan. Notice what the Bible says. I'm going to get right into it today. i got a lot, of, a lot of material to cover. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Have you ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Have you ever heard that? When you get real familiar with somebody or something, you just hold it in contempt. It's not special. It's no big deal anymore. I want to encourage you, carry with you an amazement and a wonder for those around you and those who serve you and for Jesus. These people in Jesus' hometown, those who knew him well, didn't honor him because he was too familiar. He was too common. And because they didn't honor him, they doubted him. And because they didn't honor him, he would leave them. See, a lack of faith is the outgrowth of a lack of honor. My, my fear for many people who have been in church a long time is that Jesus is just too familiar. The story of Jesus is too common. The idea of the kingdom is too familiar, too common, too ordinary. And because of that, we don't hold Jesus nor the kingdom in esteem. We hold it almost in contempt. See, what I believe is this, that if we really honor Jesus for who he is, we'd have faith in what he can do. If we really held Jesus in the esteem that was doomed, if we really held the kingdom of God in high esteem, we would have great faith in what Jesus could do. These around Jesus were the insiders. These are those who knew him. These are those who are familiar with him. These are those who knew his story. These are those who were common with seeing him. These were those who had a front row seat to the kingdom. And they missed it because Jesus was too common. Here's my warning to me and to all church people. Don't become so comfortable with religious activity that you miss kingdom opportunity. Don't become so comfortable with religious activity that we miss kingdom opportunity. Here's what I mean. Some people get so comfortable being in church. It's so common. It's so normal. It's so ordinary that they miss the opportunity for the kingdom. You know, the 4th of July, great time to celebrate the independence of our country and our freedoms. And as patient mentioned, we have the freedom of religion, the freedom of worship. 
And it's, a, it's an incredible thing in America to have the freedom to worship any day in any way we choose. Nothing's holding us back. Heck, some of us even gathered for corporate worship during the pandemic. <laughs> Nothing held us back. We're free. And that freedom oftentimes is a cause for contempt. Because we're so free. It's so common. It's so ordinary. It's so normal. If we got something better to do on the week, we'll do something different. Because church is just too ordinary. Only in America can, can a person leave one church and go right down the road to another church if they get upset at somebody or something in their church. Because it's just so common. And that familiarity oftentimes breeds contempt for the esteem of Christ and his kingdom. You understand? See, the kingdom of God showing up in the world this is what I mean by the kingdom of God showing up in the world. It's the visible manifestation of the reign of God over every, every area of life. The kingdom of God is the visible manifestation of the reign of God over every area of our life. And when we hold Jesus as common, Jesus as familiar, the kingdom of God as normal, we hold it in contempt. So that it doesn't have reign over area of our life. We let it show up when we want it to. And we chase it away when we don't. And some people, Jesus and church are so common that they've lost the wonder of the kingdom. This last weekend when we did that, that last Sunday we did the baptism at my house, I gathered those who are being uh, baptized in our, in our little living room, and I was just explaining to them how it was going to go down. And that Sunday, what was it, like 111 outside? I don't know what it was. It felt like it was, it was just terrible. And there was a lot of concern about doing a baptism in that heat. And, and a couple of people actually, actually asked me, you want to postpone this maybe so it's not so hot? And, and I understand the concern for people who want to walk. I mean, I understand that. I, I get it. Um, but when I gather with the people who are being baptized... I said, I want to share with you the, the other side of this equation. I was friends with a guy who uh, grew up uh, in Russia. When I was pastoring my church down south, he started to come to our church. He grew up in communist Russia during the height of the Cold War. Uh, and as a young man, he would eventually, with he and his family, uh, an arduous journey to flee Russia and escape uh, and make his way it was an amazing story of persecution, um, of near death, of, uh, of imprisonment. It's incredible. But he told me, he said, you know, Carl, in Russia, during the height of the Cold War, when people would come to faith, they want to get baptized. And they would wait for their baptisms to do them in December, January, and February. When it was the absolute coldest, when the snowstorms were, and they would go to the rivers and take sledgehammers and break through the, the ice to get to the water. And they would do baptisms in that environment. And the reason he said why is because those are the only times when the KGB didn't follow him outside. And we were worried about a little heat. Here's why because it's too familiar and it's too common. Do you understand? 
And so this little story goes on. Because of their familiarity, holding him in contempt, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. They had a warning of what their contempt for him would do. They had a warning. Because they knew the Old Testament. They knew Psalm 78. And in Psalm 78, there was a warning about what holding Jesus in contempt, because he's just too familiar, would do. In Psalm 78, it talks about how God led his people out of slavery in Egypt, who led them in the desert by a, 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 a pillar of fire and a cloud who provided for them manna in the desert, water from the rock, quail, who had experienced all of this. And the Bible says in Psalm 78, 41, again and again, those people who knew better put God to the test. Look at this word. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. Now that's an important word. It's a unique word. That word in the Hebrew, vexed, means literally to limit. They limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him. See, here's what happens. God limits his activity when we doubt his activity. They had enough history to look back on and say, well, we understand who God is. We know, and we stand in amazement at his provision and his plan for our need. And yet they vexed him. They limited him because they, it's just too common. Unbelief will always limit what the Lord will do. And God chooses not to work with us when we don't partner with him in faith. See, the old adage goes like this. Without him, we cannot, and without us, he will not. And so he's chosen to limit his activity in the world, oftentimes, to our faith. See, here, here's, here's what the kingdom is like with the Father. The Father wants to be one in relationship with us for eternal salvation, but he wants more than that. He doesn't just want to be in relationship with us for eternal salvation. He wants to be in partnership with us for kingdom expression. And that partnership he wants with us to express his kingdom in the world is oftentimes a reflection of our faith in him. I just want you to notice the irony of this little short section here. The Bible says that he was not able to he did not do many miracles except lay his hands on a few people and heal them. Now, in my world, that wouldn't be, a, ah, he didn't do much, just healed a few people. Like, I would lead with that. It was amazing. You see what I'm saying? And by the grace of God, I've been in those opportunities when God has stepped in and the kingdom has revealed itself in some remarkable healing situations. And it is amazing. But this is almost like an addendum. In my mind, that's more than an addendum. I didn't do much, just healed a few people. What, what I realize about, about the kingdom is this, that the kingdom is, is so profound, it's so wonderful, it's so magnificent, it's so like the kingdom, even under the shackles of unbelief, the kingdom of God keeps breaking through. But the tragedy, we 
could have experienced so much more of it had they not held him in contempt. He was too common. And I just have to wonder if we are like them. See, those who should have been most receptive to the work of grace, those who should have been most receptive to the work of the kingdom being manifest in them, they remain resistant to it because of the lack of faith. I want to remind you what Jesus said in the beginning of this whole study. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus said, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, man, it's right here. Repent and believe this good news. If you've been bored by Jesus, and you've been bored with the news of the kingdom, you've been bored with his word, you're too familiar. You're too comfortable with the amazement of this kingdom. And you limit what God can do. The, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at their faith. And verse 6 says he marveled at their faith, at their lack of faith. The, the Bible said there's two times in the Gospels where it says Jesus marveled. It's only two times. And both of the times when Jesus marveled was in relationship to faith. Here's the first time where it, said, it, it, it says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. Of those so should have believed. The other time that Jesus marveled is in Luke 7, and he marveled at the faith of one who shouldn't have believed. I want you to notice this, that the kingdom of God will find expression when faith is exercised. And so the fact is this, my friends, please understand, that Jesus will marvel at your faith. He will. The question is, which type of marvel will it be? He will marvel at our faith. The question I have to ask myself is, which marvel will it be? Will he marvel at my lack of faith? Or will he marvel at the partnership with him because of it? Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is... This is... <laughs> I think this is good stuff. I think this Bible stuff is good stuff. I just I want to crawl inside this thing. Like, ah, like, I want to be part of it. I want it to be part of me. I don't want to miss the kingdom stuff. And I don't want to get so comfortable with it that it's ordinary. It's anything but ordinary. Look what the Bible says in verse, uh, verses uh, 6 through 10. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. Now, now watch what happens here. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Watch this. These are his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. 
What, what he's doing here is he, he has just called his disciples to him. He said, no, I'm going to send you out as emissaries of the kingdom of God. And as emissaries of the kingdom of God, I'm going to give you authority over the devil. That word to give them authority is the Greek sense that I'm not taking it back. I'm going to give it to you and you're going to possess it because now you're emissaries of the kingdom and you're carry, going to carry the power of the kingdom with you as you go. And as you go, two things are going to happen. Verses 12 and 13. They went out and preached that people should what? Repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So the kingdom of God showed up in two ways. In the repentance from sin and healing from sickness. Now this is interesting. This scripture says that they anointed people with oil. There's only two times in the gospels when oil was used for healing. Now, we here in this Mark 6, and this is the only place in the Gospels that it was done, anointing with oil was done according to what the Bible says later in James chapter 5. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was alive, but after the death, uh, burial, and resurrection, then came to believe and, 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 and his half-brother as the Messiah. In response to that, James starts writing about what it means to follow this Messiah. And in chapter 5 of James, James says this, Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Even if they have, or if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So the, the, the command in Scripture, according to James chapter 5, the half-brother of Jesus, is when one is sick, that person has a responsibility to call the elders of the church, who then come over to the church, anoint with oil, and pray over them. And now oil is the symbolism of the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening here by the anointing with oil is the indication that I am right with God, and I've invited the Holy Spirit to be in and a part of my life, and the forgiveness of sin. This is, this is the commandment, but, but, but in Mark 6 is the only place that we see that it, was, that it was done that way. The second place oil is used for healing is in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that case, oil was used not spiritually, but medicinally. Jesus says that the man who was beat up, the Good Samaritan came along and anointed his sores and cuts with oil for its healing. And so we have to understand that oil is used in scripture spiritually and medicinally. Here's what I know. Sometimes God heals by faith and sometimes God heals by doctors and sometimes God waits for heaven. Please understand medicine does not heal anybody. Please understand, faith does not heal anybody. Please understand, God heals. His name is Jehovah Rapha. Oil is used spiritually in the Bible and medicinally in the Bible. But ultimately, the source of all healing is God and God alone. And so if you are sick, avail yourself to both prayer and doctors. Don't ever only see doctors and don't ever only pray. Always both, according to Scripture, spiritually and medicinally. Avail yourself to both. Don't be foolish and say, we're just going to pray about it. And don't be ignorant and say, I'm just going to go to the doctor. 
Way back in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 16, the king Asa was sick. And the Bible says he had a terrible disease in his feet. <laughs> I don't like athlete's foot, but it was really bad. And the Bible says this about King Asa. He went to the doctors but didn't consult the Lord and he died. Implication being, you only go to the doctor and don't consult God, it probably won't go well. Implication being, had I consulted God and the doctor, maybe things would have turned around. Do you understand? The kingdom of God. The power of the kingdom. God steps in. You know the interesting thing about healing in the Bible? Everybody who was healed in the Bible eventually died. Do you understand? So, I don't know what to make of it other than I know the church doesn't talk about it a whole bunch. But did you realize that even in the midst of every healing, eventually, you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. Do you understand? Yes. And through relationship with God, through faith in Jesus, regardless of how this life on earth goes and ends, I am forever healed with him in eternity. So that's why I say, Medicine doesn't heal, and faith doesn't heal, God does. And ultimately, one day, in the kingdom, all healed. Does that make sense? You follow me? Look at what this Bible, look at, look at what Jesus says. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Don't take any bread, no bag, no money in your belt. How do you put money in your belt? It's like a fanny pack. So he says, don't ever wear a fanny pack. That's just good advice regardless of what you're doing. Just don't, don't wear a fanny pack. Uh, wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. What he's saying is this. There has to be an urgency to this. Don't meander around. Don't play around. Don't take nothing extra. Don't look for the next big thing. Don't wait for something better. To, like there's an urgency to this. Just freaking get after the kingdom. Pursue this. Make it about the urgency to do the work of the kingdom. Don't get sidetracked with everything else a part of life. It's kingdom, it's kingdom, it's kingdom. And this is what Jesus is looking for in his disciples. He's just looking, look, do you understand this? And then comes this situation to reveal the depth of their understanding. The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported him all that they had done and taught. They're like, hey, let's just, let me just hear how it went. Tell me what you did. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I love the fact that Jesus was never put out by people. I need to be more like him. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. They said, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take like more than half a year's salary. Are we to go spend that much money on bread and give them something to eat? Just so how many loaves do you have? Go and find out. And when they found out, they said, we got five and we got two little fish. And Jesus directed them to all how the people all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets, uh, basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men, not the women or the kids included, just the men who had eaten was 5,000. So Jesus says, look, the, the kingdom of God, I've just given you the power of the kingdom, and you've gone out and done this incredible stuff, and now I want to see if you get it. And so this situation arises where they have a need. And rather than see that God has a plan, they panic. This should not have been difficult for them. Facing this need should not have been difficult for them. They should have seen this need, got a lot of people, very little food, not a problem. That's what their response should have been. Why? Because they knew Old Testament better than we. They knew the story of Elisha back in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. This is the story that they should have known, that they did know, that they forgot. A man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing the man of God, Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. The man who brought the loaves said, how can I set this before a hundred men? We don't have enough to feed them. I put this before a hundred men. They're going to be very upset. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord said. They will eat and have some left over. Then he said it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. The disciples knew this story and they forgot. Why? Because Jesus was too common and he was too ordinary. They forgot what God had done so they had no faith in what he could do. All they saw was their need. They didn't see God's plan. This should not have been an issue for them. Here's the problem. You and I have seen time and time and time again when we have had a need, God has had a plan. When we have had scarcity, God has had provision. So much so that when we come up against the the need this time it should not be a surprise that God already has a plan God's kingdom had been breaking through for a long time those who should have known it forgot it those who should have seen it should have seen the setup back in Elijah's day the need in the battle was the Lord's to fight. In the disciples' day, the need in the battle was the Lord's to fight. In yours and my day, the need and the battle is God's to fight. But here's the problem. We get so focused on the need that we miss the moment. The moment of the kingdom. Our problem is that our current crisis creates spiritual amnesia. And we forget what God has done. We, we, 
We should be able to look back in God's history, not just ours. And for every need that his people have had, we should be able to see that he's had a plan. And for every scarcity that his people have faced, we've seen he's had provision. See, here's what kingdom people have going in our favor. When we experience a need, we see the setup. God is setting up the exposure of the kingdom. And we know, we have to know, that when we have a need, God already has a plan. So here's the good news, my friends, this morning. If you have a need and you are God's, guess what God has? A plan. You should see the setup coming. See, this, this miracle is told in all the Gospels. And in John chapter 6, it says that when Jesus saw the need, he already had a plan of what he was going to do. Even though he had a plan, he also had instructions for the disciples. See, both Jesus and the disciples saw the same need. They had a very different solution. The disciples' solution was send them away. Get rid of the need by getting rid of the needy out of sight, out of mind. Jesus had a different plan. Jesus saw the solution. And he wanted his disciples to be a part of the solution. He said, you give them something to eat. It seems to me that the disciples forgot what you already know. See, you know that God's commands are God's enablement. So the fact that Jesus said, you give them something to eat, means that he had already enabled them to do it. They had a need. He had a plan. What they had seemed so insufficient. Five loaves and two fish. It was enough maybe for one or two people. These are very, very small loaves. They look like little rocks. And that's why the ten, when, when Jesus was, was, was uh, attempted in the, in, the, in the desert, that's why the devil said, look at these rocks, turn these rocks into bread. Why? Because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. The boy was hungry. It, was, it, was, it would have been very tempting to look at what looked like bread anyway, just make it so and eat some. So these little loaves of bread, they're like little rocks. They're just little things. Five of those and two little sardines, wholly insufficient for 5,000 men, plus women and children. But what were they left with? See, they had a need. But God had a plan. What were they left with? They had a need. God had a plan. What were they left with? Somebody answer me soon because I'm going to keep asking that question. They had a need. God had a plan. What were they left with? Twelve basketfuls left over. Why twelve? Because there were twelve disciples who doubted it could happen. And so Jesus said, I know you got a need. I got a plan. Here's your parting gift to remind you that my plan is greater than your need. I, Sean, you just got here. Am I preaching good today? You, Sean, you got one answer to this. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Here's what I know. Obedience always leads to abundance. Obedience always leads to abundance. Imagine if we had just done what Jesus said to do, how much abundance we could have experienced. Whatever the it is, had you done it God's way, imagine the abundance that you could, because obedience always leads to abundance one way or the other. 
See, the miracle happened when they took what they had and placed it in Jesus' hands. And our miracle happens the same way. When we take the little bit we have and place it in Jesus' hands, our resources, our needs, our marriage, our relationships, our families, our sickness, our habits, our addictions, our faith, the little it is we put it in God. I mean, you look at this abundance that God gave them. Why couldn't God just give them the lunch for the day? Why 12 baskets left over? Well, many reasons. One of them, I think, is this. Would it have been wrong for God just to meet their basic need? No, not at all. Still would have shown his provision. But here's the deal. Whenever Jesus invites people over for dinner whom he loves, there's always going to be more than enough. I was talking to one of my church planners in Cuba. And they're just going through it. Uh, but he, he, he emailed me and said, Pastor, I just want to tell you and Flipside thank you. Because you've given us so much. And all the people in Trinidad around us ask us, why has God given you so much abundance? And he said, I struggled answering that question until I realized that God's abundance should not surprise me. Because God doesn't know how to give small. You understand? God doesn't know how to give small. There had to be 12 basketfuls left over. Because God doesn't know how to give small. And if a pastor in Cuba who's going through hell like that can talk about and be amazed at God's abundance, how much more us on this Independence Day? I'm going to take a vacation and calm down because y'all don't seem that excited. So immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Here's what I know. Jesus had a long day. And it's a hard day. And there's a lot of work spiritually. Oh, my. The way that weighs on a the physical needs. He was exhausted, and he went up to a mountain. I love the fact that a hard day for Jesus drove him to prayer, not from prayer. That's a lesson. So look at how this thing ends up. I'm going to share this with you real quick here. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake because Jesus said, let's go on over to the other side. And he, Jesus, was alone on the land. He saw the disciples uh, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass, them, uh, pass by them. Uh, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about what? They're on the water, the waves... And they were terrified and amazed because they didn't understand about the bread. Does that make sense to you? Like, where's the correlation? Because their hearts were hardened. Let me just unpack this real quick here. Jesus sends them into the boat at the darkest part of the night. And Jesus knows that the strong winds are, he knows that the opposition is coming. He knows that the difficulty is coming. And this is oftentimes what Jesus does in our lives. He blesses, it's great, and then he allows trying times and testing times and difficult times. Why? Why? One reason is this, and I'm going to suggest this to you, because if all he did was bless, we'd be spoiled, entitled, adolescent millennials. Yeah. 
think we deserve a trophy for showing up to church. Hey, hard times are part of life, and it doesn't mean God's against us. It doesn't necessarily mean that the system is set up for your failure. They're in a boat in the middle of the sea. Jesus saw, he knew the storm was good, the winds were coming. He saw them straining at the oars. And Jesus, get this, Jesus let them struggle so that for the purpose of they would have a battle to fight. He wanted them to fight a battle. He does this all through, look, in Judges chapter 3, you go back to the Old Testament. God has delivered his people into the promised land. The Bible says in Judges chapter 3 that God left the enemies in the land. He left the enemies of the people of Israel. He left all the in the land. Why? The Bible says that God left them in the land so that a generation who didn't know how to fight would have to learn to fight. A generation for whom God was too common. They had seen the deliverance through the desert. They had seen the manna. They had seen the quail. They had seen the waterfall. It had all been given to them and they had no idea what it was to fight. And so God left the enemies there so that a generation for whom God was too common and too ordinary and the kingdom was too regular would have to learn to fight. And that's what he does for us. Sometimes the best thing that God can do for me and you is not to rescue us out of the battle, but to leave us in the battle to learn to fight. If you got a need, God has a plan. And part of his plan might be to keep you in that battle so you learn to fight, but you learn to fight it his ways. Because the Bible says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed by them, but he stopped because they were afraid. He could have passed by them because he had already commanded them to go to the other side. That means they were going to make it. But because they were say, afraid, God, Jesus saw their fear, and he stopped, and he called into the boat. And miraculously, somehow the boat got there. And the Bible says that they were amazed because they didn't understand the loaves. What was it about the loaves that had a play in the sea? What did they miss on the loaves on the mountainside that caused them to miss it in the water? I was thinking about it this week. I was just, I was like, Lord, what? I don't understand. What does the loaves have to... You know what the lesson of the loaves was that they missed? They saw the need. They didn't see God set up for the kingdom. See, with the bread, they saw the need, but they missed the setup. They saw the need, but not God's plan, and so they panicked with the bread. And likewise, on the, on the sea, they saw the need, but they missed the setup of God's kingdom being revealed. They saw the need. But not God's plan, and so they panic. Any time that you and I see the need in our life, but lose sight of God's plan, we're going to panic. Any time we see the need in our life, and we miss the idea that it's a setup for the revelation of the kingdom, we're going to panic. Don't let your heart get hard. When you have a need, you got to know that God has a plan. And not panic. You have to look at, I have to look at, we have to look at, at our need as God set up to show the kingdom and not get so familiar and so comfortable with Jesus that we miss the opportunity for the revelation of the kingdom. 
You follow me? Now let me just close with this. Caleb, come up here. I want you to notice how the chapter ends. Verses 53 through 56. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever the, he, they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. How did Mark 6 start? By people around Jesus that were too comfortable and too familiar with Jesus and the kingdom. And he did not do much. Because of the lack of honor, he left. How does Mark 6 end? You got people who are amazed that they might have the opportunity to be in the presence of one of such high esteem. They are amazed that they might have the opportunity to just reach out and touch the kingdom. Do you see the difference? And I gotta wonder, every one of us is gonna be in one of those two places, at the beginning of Mark 6 or at the end of Mark 6. So which are you? Who are we? Normally, five loaves and two fish is not enough to feed 5,000. Normally, man doesn't walk on water. Normally, people are not healed instantly. But none of this is normal. It's the kingdom of God. It's not normal. But it is kingdom. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray, God, your kingdom come. It ought never be normal. It ought never be ordinary. We ought never get bored with it. It's the kingdom of God. Do you understand? Oh, God, I pray you get amazed by it. I want you to pray with me. Father, on behalf of us, we have needs. You know that we have needs. Father, we have great needs. Father, we come this morning carrying the needs in our lives and sometimes carrying the needs in the lives of those we love. And sometimes other people's needs on our hearts are heavier than our needs for ourselves. We have needs. Father, in this place right now, some people are carrying heavy emotional needs that they cannot break free from. 
It has overwhelmed them. It has overpowered them. And they cannot seem to find resolution. Some people in this place have great physical need that has taken over their bodies and by which they have not ever found relief nor healing. Some of us have such incredible relational needs that stuff has fallen apart around us in our marriages and our families with our children and those we love. The needs are great, God. You know that. That's not a surprise to you. God, we come to you this morning because we have need. And I ask in the strong name of Jesus. And I stand in the gap for those of us with needs. That you would remind us that when we have a need, you have a plan. And you've invited us into your kingdom. And so we come in faith. Believing in your capability to end this world and certainly in the next. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done. The battles we fight are yours to fight. Let us not rely on our strength, our ability, our wisdom, our smarts, our provision. Let us only rely on the name of the Lord our God. Our battles are yours. Fight them, God. In your name we trust. Your kingdom come.